Hello, and thanks again, as always, for listening. I appreciate anybody who listens to even one episode, and I appreciate everyone who's listened to so many. You keep me going. I'm so excited to share that now official on Patreon. You can find my Patreon page, become a member. It's patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. Again, that's patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. My name, of course, is P-E-T-E-R-R-I-E-H-L. Patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. You can become a member today. The page is officially launched. There are three tiers of membership. Official patron membership tier is $3 a month. And with that, you'll get access to all interview episodes when they're published, mostly on Tuesdays with some published on Fridays. There are two to four interviews published each month. Lastly, you'll receive the monthly newsletter with reading recommendations, literary event calendar, and the Chills at Will podcast news, and you'll get a shout-out on a future episode. That is the official patron tier of membership for $3 a month. There's the $5 a month for the all-access patron. With the all-access patron membership, you'll have access to all new interview episodes. Each month, like I said, there are two to four interview episodes. You'll get access to those as well as a monthly bonus episode or two that is an interview or an exploration of themes through two or three texts. One example would be an episode that I did called Righteous and Justified Anger that was explored through the works by Langston Hughes and Ralph Ellison, or The Power of Flashback was one episode, which explored the endings of The Godfather Part Two, Sleepers, and that was then, this is now. With the all-access patron membership, you'll also receive a refrigerator magnet with the Chills at Will podcast logo, and the monthly newsletter with reading recommendations, literary event calendar, and the Chills at Will podcast news you will get a shout-out on a future episode, too. With the VIP patron tier, which is $10 a month, you'll get access to all episodes, a monthly newsletter with reading suggestions and a calendar of literary events and updates on the Chills at Will podcast, access to a monthly AMA, Ask Me Anything, and a t-shirt with the Chills at Will podcast logo. There are two to four monthly episodes, and one or two bonus episodes, which are interviews or discussions of themes as seen through multiple texts. VIP patrons will also receive a special shout-out on a future episode. I encourage you to please join Patreon for the Chills at Will podcast. As I say all the time, this is truly a labor of love. This is truly a DIY operation. I started in April of 2020. And it has been an absolute pleasure, 99.999% fun. I've gotten to interview people like Disha Filia, what? Matt Bell, Brandon Hobson, Luis Alberto Orrea, Jean Guerrero, Gustavo Arellano, Taylor Bias, Gabby Bates, Alice Elliott Dark, Nadia Owusu, and so, so, so many more. Did I say Jess Walter? Did I say Jeff Perlman, Ingrid Rojas Contreras, Jamil John Kochai, Morgan Talty, Sadie Shore Parks, 
Rachel Yoder, Vanessa Angelica Villarreal, Kirsten Chen, Sam Quinones, Ion Grillo, Raina Kelly, Zach Harper, Michael Torres, Tracy Cato Kirayama, S.J. Sindhu, Roberto Lovato, Todd Goldberg, Steph Cha, Noel Kassler, Reina Grande, James Tate Hill, Navdeep Dylan Singh, Nikisha Elise Williams, Mia St. John, Susan Muladi Daraj, Sarah Borjas, and the list goes on and on. Future episodes include conversations with Robert Jones Jr., with Allegra Hyde, with Justin Tinsley, Javier Zamora, Tommy Dean, Elizabeth Williamson, Jose Antonio Vargas, Yasmin Ramirez, Kai Harris, Laura Worrell, with Erica Wirth. So, so, so many cool people that I still need to interview that I still look forward to talking to. Patreon.com backslash Chills at Will podcast Peter Real. What are you waiting for? See you over there. Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Welcome to episode 148 of the Chills of Will podcast. The gentleman across the screen has a much cooler background than myself, but that's all right. I'm talking about <laughs> Chen Chen, and here's a bit about of the biography. Chen Chen is an author, teacher, and editor. His second book of poetry, Your Emergency Contact Has Experienced an Emergency, is out now from BOA Editions. The UK edition will be published by Blood Axe Books in October. And his debut, When I Grow Up, I Want to Be a List of Further Possibilities, is also from Boa and Blood Axe, 2017 and 19. That debut was long listed for the National Book Award and won the Tom Gunn Award, among others, honors. Chen is also the author of five chapbooks, including the forthcoming Explodingly Yours from Ghost City Press 2023 and the forthcoming book of craft essays, In Cahoots with the Rabbit God, Noemi Press 2024. His work appears in many publications, including Poetry, Poem a Day, and three editions of The Best American Poetry, 2015, 19, and 21. He has received two Pushkar Prizes and fellowships from Kunduman, the National Endowment for the Arts, and United States Artists. He holds an MFA from Syracuse University and a PhD from Texas Tech University. He has taught in UMass Boston's MFA program and at Brandeis University, as a 2018-22 Jacob Ziskind Poet-in-Residence. Currently, he is core poetry faculty for the Low Residency MFA programs 
at New England College and Stone Coast. With a brilliant team, he edits the journal Underblong. With Gudetama the Lazy Egg, he edits the Lickety Split. He lives in frequently snowy Rochester, New York, with his partner Jeff Gilbert and their pug, Mr. Gu- Rupert Giles. Do you have time to sleep? Um, somehow, yeah, somehow. I do. I do love to sleep. Okay. Actually. Okay. <laughs> Quite a lot. Like my natural state would be akin to the koala. Okay. Like, that's <laughs> how I would love to be always. But right? yeah my life choices keep me busy (laughs) well an official welcome thanks so much just a pleasure to have you i'm in reading through your work and reading your biography and talking to you and reading this bio again it's like what a what a life of poetry and art i mean how cool is that right it is really cool yeah i've been reflecting on that again i feel really lucky i i I love to know the chronology like recently like on social media i've seen a lot of poems you've put up you know i don't know if those have been like the day of, you know, we were talking about all the the trips you've been making and readings, um, obviously publishing like crazy and, and you're not just prolific for the sake of prolific, prolificity, if that's a word, but obviously you're winning all these awards and, you know, getting in the the best American poems and poem of the day. Um, I guess to start off by asking you, I mean, do you, do you find muses? Do you seek out muses? Like, do you just, are you one of those people who's like, you know, my everyday life is my, is my (laughs) art, you know, how do you, how are you so mm-hmm. prolific and so creative? Well, thank you. Um, yeah, it's funny because it doesn't, like internally, I don't feel like I'm that prolific a writer <laughs> because it can actually take me quite a long time sure, sure. to work on any single poem. Mm-hmm. And this new book felt like it took a while, actually. Um but I guess it maybe from the outside, it appears to be that right. more so right. um, because of just when things get published, when they you know come out. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it happens sort of all in a row and then it seems like, oh, yes, yeah, yeah, I have exactly. Exactly. writing <laughs> for a while. So, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm constantly, yeah, dipping into... Yeah the poetry realm and I love working on writing it's so much fun to me especially poems um essays I've been working on it's like uh-huh. less like just fun <laughs> for right, me right, right. but it is also very absorbing and engaging in a different way huh. but yeah in terms of inspiration I just try to be really open and receptive to wherever it comes from. Mm-hmm. And so I used to feel like, oh, there are certain things that are worthy of being a poetic subject and other uh-huh. things are not. And over time, I've really shed that expectation. And I always tell my students, like, stay open. You never know. Um, it might, you know, the next poem might come from a funny billboard you see Mm. while on a road trip Mm -hmm. or from a really nice walk in an arboretum with a friend um, or, you know, an overheard piece of conversation just, you know, in a coffee shop. So it could really come from anywhere. And I think it's more about how you pay attention Mm. to the world around you, but also the world inside you. Mm. Um, So yeah, it doesn't have to be like seemingly the most important thing right um 
but also I think your obsessions ultimately choose you. And so it's mm. also paying attention to like, what do you gravitate towards? What really sustains your interest? Mm-hmm. Oh, I appreciate that. I mean, is it, is it an oversimpl- oversimplification to say, like when you're talking about you didn't think some things were worthy, is it like, you know, classic, like highbrow, lowbrow, is that kind of yeah, what you're talking about? Definitely. Uh-huh. I, I used to think like, oh, I can't bring all this pop culture into poems, right. which of course now I do so much yeah, of, yeah. yeah. Um, or, you know, I can't make a kind of vulgar joke in a poem. <laughs> Um, which of course I also do plenty of. <laughs> so yeah, there was there was a, a process I would say that's really started in grad school, mm. where I started to um, experiment a lot more mm. with bringing my actual voice, like how I really talk to people, right. especially people that I'm close to, right. to bring that into poems and it just made everything so much more alive when I let myself do that that makes a lot of sense um you t- in in the bio I was reading so I mean so you have a uh so you have craft essays coming out as well mm-hmm. you know there's like Matthew Celestis has his from a couple years mm-hmm. back of course so yeah I'm I'm honored I'm gonna be able to speak speak to him in a couple months and you know Matt Bell had his mm-hmm. that, you know, I, on Twitter every time I see oh man you help me you help me help me yeah. I think I kind of feel like stereotypically in the past, they were kind of like, they were kind of seen as like robotic or boring, like the stuff mm-hmm. on craft, except for, of course, Anne Lamott's great bird by bird. So that's so cool that like, you know, you talk about Matthew and Matt Bell and yours, like those are ones that you want to read. Those are like must reads, not like you have <laughs> to read, right? Like you have mm-hmm. to read for a class or something like that. What do you, what do you think you'll be bringing? Um, what are you bringing to the table with the, with your craft essays? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, and I mean, those are fantastic, you know, recent books to be mm-hmm. kind of in company with yeah. um, and really important ideas in those books to kind of interventions, right? Huh. Um, with kind of traditional or canonical thinking around creative writing, around the workshop. Um yeah, it's definitely my own kind of intervention as well. The main thing I'm kind of exploring and also critiquing is the idea of universality mm. and um, how it functions as a literary value or a kind of pressure to mm. write universally and especially how that pressure is placed on marginalized writers, you know, writers of color, trans and queer writers. Um to make especially if we write autobiographically you know to make our experiences um palatable and understandable to you know so called like mainstream audience or a more universal audience Mm. and so that's something that i've been thinking a lot about the problems around that concept the limitations of it and um also some alternatives to Mm. that way of thinking So I'm thinking um, a lot about how, um, you know, maybe a more useful and accurate way to think about what we do, the kind of gestures that we create um, in poems in particular, um, that kind of reach across time and cultures um, is this kind of like space making, like you're making a space for a reader, right? Um, a stranger 
potentially in the future who will pick this up and have an experience reading it. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, the kind of imaginative space that's offered um, that a reader is invited into or challenged to come into. Um, so I think that's maybe a more useful way to think about it. Yeah. Um, some of the, the essay work is also in dialogue with this Chinese uh, deity that I only learned about fairly recently, um, the rabbit god, um, who's actually originates uh, from my family's home province, um, southern China, um, Fujian. And um, I learned about this god through this short film directed by Andrew Thomas Wong, who's done really cool music videos for FK Twigs and Bjork. Super oh, recent, wow. actually. I'm, I'm getting um, an idea there. That's short film. Nice. Yeah, really, really cool work. <laughs> Right? out there out yeah so he also did this short film called kiss of the rabbit god okay um and that's how i learned about this deity and Pop so culture. part of what i'm thinking about too is like how and it's like a queer god it's like a god that um celebrates and protects um like queer love and relationships wow. and so there's actually um I think still this uh, temple in Taiwan, actually, um, where people make like a pilgrimage to, um, and there's like a priest there who will, you know, like bless your relationship or you know the like prayers that you're making um, around love, maybe. Um, so yeah, really, really cool. I was yeah. super excited to like learn about that and kind of do more research into the history of uh, this god. There's like this whole really interesting backstory to it um, as well. So yeah, some of the um, essay work is um, in dialogue like with the, the deity and yeah. also thinking about how um, their forms of knowledge, like mm. queer history, queer spirituality, that have been suppressed or erased, um, and um, the process of having to do your own research and having to like excavate um, wow. that knowledge. Yeah. Wow. When you talk about being in dialogue with, I mean, are, are we talking like second person? Or are you talking more of like a in the in the way of like letters? Like, um, yeah. Because okay. I'm really interested in epistolary forms. Mm -hmm. So this is also in part inspired by work like uh, Victoria Chang's recent book of essays, Dear Memory, mm -hmm. um, where each essay is like addressed to someone or something else. Like mm -hmm. there's like Dear Silence. There's also this great piece by Jennifer S. Chang um, called uh, Dear Blank Space. That's this essay written um, as a series of these really short letters all addressed mm. to like concepts mm. um so yeah part of it yeah is inspired by that form i i remember reading once i don't remember who wrote it but it was about his or her culture the line was something like my culture this culture quote assimilated into homophobia mm. mm -hmm. which i thought was so interesting right i wonder when you talk yeah. about like the rabbit god is, do you see like a connection there where mm -hmm. You know, I think maybe sometimes we assume that like hopefully progress comes as time goes on, the right. whole what great arc mm -hmm. of justice type of thing, but maybe not. Right. 
I wonder, if, did you find something there about like kind of assimilating mm -hmm. into into homophobia almost? Yeah. Well, I think history is actually very nonlinear. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we like to imagine that, oh, in the past, like people had these kind of attitudes and now things have progressed and right. will continue to. Um, but I think, yeah, it's actually quite messy. And I mean, Chinese history is so long as well. There's so much um, to go into. And so, of course, yeah, there were different eras, um, I think, in which like homosexuality, which also just as a concept, as a term, is a very like modern one. Right. right, right so right. in terms of like how sexuality or like relationships, you know, worked, that's also quite different from one historical period to another. Um, and so you could talk about like queer uh, sex or, you know, relationships of a kind. Um, so yeah, when you, when you look at the larger history, um, Chinese history, there are, yeah, different points at which um, that was totally a thing. And uh -huh. it was either, you know, pretty openly discussed or like it was happening, people right. didn't maybe talk about it as much. Um, and of course, you know, it's, um, a thing today, you know, sure. that there is, um, quite a bit of, um, is official kind of suppression mm. of it, but there's also, I think a lot of effort um, on the part of like advocates and activists, um, you know, working toward more progress around sure. you know, LGBTQ rights and just community building as well yeah you know i mean i know i know all of us are just sick and tired of hearing you know like oh like a return like oh you know return to fascism and and yeah. all this <laughs> we're sick and tired of hearing right. but but like i mean it's true like you said it's, it's not necessarily a linear thing it's you know, mm -hmm. you know make america great again what what was it when was it great well, i know it great? it's what a fantasy it? it's a very weird fantasy of like, I'm always wary of that. Like, when people talk about it, yeah, in a U.S. context or in another country's context of, like, a, a golden age sure, that, sure. you know, they're trying to get back to. But it never actually existed like that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Right. So, it's a myth. Yeah. You're obviously you're obviously a wordsmith. You, you traffic in words. So, like, I, I wonder in 2022 i wonder why why you use the word or how you use the word mm. what 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 uh connotations it has you know the word queer like yeah i know you know i don't know 20 30 40 years ago a lot of it was was reclaiming right like mm -hmm. like a slur and it was it was used as right. slurs you know and, and yeah. reclaiming and that kind of thing i wonder kind of like if you've seen even in your lifetime like an evolution of the word or mm -hmm. you know why you're like you, you would be firm in yeah. using it or maybe you're not as firm in using it. i don't know I think about specific individual words a lot. <laughs> maybe not surprising for a poet. Um, I love etymology. Like I love looking it up and tracing the history of a word and seeing, you know, I mean, often English, you know, Latin or Greek root right, um, right. or an Anglo-Saxon root um, or, you know, further back, you know, like proto Indo-European <laughs> roots. So all of that is really fascinating to me. Um, also just like how 
languages are so interrelated. Um, and there are so many of us out there, to, I think, right? Right? There are a lot of us out there. Yeah, continue to evolve and influence uh-huh. one another. Um, and yeah, in, in the new book, I um, have some bilingual poems as well. Yeah. So Mandarin next to English. And that was a very um, deliberate choice to um, experiment with that kind of multilingual writing. Um, like I was partly nervous to do that, especially because I don't translate a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew that was like risky for um, maybe some readers um, not wanting to make the effort to understand it. But to me, it was really important um, to write from a place that um, was just true to my life. Like that's mm-hmm. how I grew up. Um, switching between these languages all the time Mm -hmm. and I used to think like oh I had to be fluent in Mandarin to you know write in it to bring it into my poems Um, and I'm really not it's quite rusty and the Mandarin that's in the book is like very basic it's like second grade like level (laughs) Um, at most Um, but it was important to me um, to actually write from uh the actual experience of language that I've had. Um, But yeah, specifically with your question, like a particular word, um, I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, actually. Um, Yeah, like the reclaimed um, slurs. And for me, one of them that um, I used to, like, I think queer, I was always, maybe like it's a generational thing as well. Like Mm -hmm. for me growing up, it was kind of already, um, right. You know, this whole reclaimed term, although I didn't use it as much until maybe college, I would say. Like before that, I would just use gay. And then queer kind of became more of the umbrella term, but also had a certain like political edge right. to it um, that I appreciate. Um, but another word like that, um, that I think is maybe still more controversial um is faggot or you know like the f slur i'll say um and i can understand why you know for some people it's still like it's not reclaimable for them Mm. um and for uh, many years i felt that way too like i didn't want to use it because it felt like a very violent term Mm. um but yeah, in recent years, it's something that I have embraced. And part of that is seeing it in other queer writers' mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. and seeing them use it in such a playful manner and in this very, um, yeah, like casual and also like sensual way, um, in particular, like Justin Chin's work. Um, so Justin Chin was this poet um, based in San Francisco, also queer Asian American writer, wrote all sorts of things, mainly poetry, but also essays and stories. Um, so one of his poems, um, an excerpt from it is an epigraph for this book. There's also a poem um, dedicated to him and um, kind of this elegy, um, thinking about how we never got to meet um, because he um, died in 2015. So, and wanting to um, have a conversation with him. So it sort of happens, you know, through Mm -hmm. the poem. Um, But yeah, he uses the word fag um, in that 
delightful poem with my butt um and I love how he uses it and yeah it's it's like one of the pieces that got me more into the word um both on a personal level but also as a writer yeah so yeah I think often through poetry my relationship to certain words changes yeah I mean thanks for for introducing me to to Justin I you know went down the Wikipedia rabbit hole and and like you said if the words are used violently he he uses it seems to use it violently or play like as in like screw you right yeah right i'm gonna i'm gonna reclaim the other direction yeah in the other direction right Mm -hmm. and yeah i mean very sad to read obviously that he passed away seven years ago but i on my computer right now i have his wikipedia page open so i was (laughs) checking it out (laughs) i would love to go back to the beginning the beginning ish um how would you pronounce it is it is it xiamen in china i'm sorry Xiaomen. Xiaomen. Mm-hmm. And you were born there. You mm-hmm. said it was in you said it was in southern China. Mm-hmm. Where how you know, when did you move to the States? Um and then you know, you talked about Mandarin, like it's kind of mm-hmm. I guess a big question, but just your early relationship with languages, yeah. Mandarin, English, uh, a hybrid. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I can I can refresh your memory on these questions, I'm throwing a lot at you, but also just like with Mandarin, like is there something about the language that lends itself to poetry or you know what I mean like it mm. it has a you know you know some languages don't have a future tense or mm. some languages are, are tied in with like proverbs like I wonder if there's yeah. anything in, in that language that really mm-hmm. brings out the poet in you mm. that's a lot yeah um I love this question though um yeah first um on to yeah the first part of it um Yeah, I came to the States when I was really young, like I was almost four, um, and I came with uh, my mom and dad, um, and so uh, most of my extended family still lives in Xiamen or in that area, um, and I've visited them at various points, um, but yeah, so my relationship to language has always been multilingual, um, my first language actually was um I mean sometimes referred to as a dialect but it's kind of its own language really um which is a variety of um Pokian um so it's related to Mandarin Mm. um but it's quite different in a number of ways um like some of the tones are different um some of the vocabulary is different um, in some ways, it's like closer to classical Chinese in oh, wow. pronunciation and um, grammar. Um, and so I picked up some of it when I've visited relatives. Um, but because it is so different from Mandarin, um, they usually have to just speak Mandarin with me for us to mm-hmm. have a real conversation beyond like little food terms. <laughs> um, or like, I know how to say like driving like drive the car it's like something I know how to say (laughs) yeah so that was um my first language really um was that so I spoke that um at an early age and I think yeah when I first came to the United States but then um I think my parents really prioritized um like one learning English um in order to um you know, fit in and live life here, obviously. Um, so they prior- prioritize that, but also 
in terms of um, Chinese language, they prioritize Mandarin um, just because more people speak it. It's like the standard language. Um, they also became Mandarin teachers. Um, so they both teach um, high school um, Mandarin. Um, so I also grew up with a lot of uh, language books and like materials at home um, because of my parents being educators. So they would always like have all these textbooks and like actual books as well um, in Mandarin, um, children's books in Mandarin, all these uh, materials. So I was always just surrounded by different languages, um, whether in you know written form or spoken and always going back and forth between different languages. Mm. Um, and so I think that led to poetry in a way because of one, just, you know, the obsession with language yeah. and with words, loving words. Mm. Um, but two, also just seeing how much, well, how malleable, right? Mm. Um, communication is, mm. um, that, it's not one thing ever that, you know, there are all of these languages, all these ways to communicate and that shifts the tone in which you say something, it shifts the rhythm of it. Yeah. And yeah, I do think Mandarin is a really rich language for poetry. Mm. I don't know a ton um, about like contemporary mm. writing in Mandarin. Like I know a little bit. Um, but I mean, I had to memorize poems in Mandarin as part of um, growing up and keeping up with <laughs> uh, language study. Um, so there, yeah, there's some like famous like Tong Dynasty, you know, poems. Um, so very like classical, yeah. very formal kind of language. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think for one, there are a lot of puns. In Mandarin, because okay. a lot of words that sound similar or just the tone is different. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of tongue twisters in Mandarin. Mm -hmm. I wrote about that in a poem in my first book, where like it was like this whole sentence. It's sort of like the buffalo sentence in English. Oh, all right. Where it's just like the same word, but in Mandarin, just the tone changes. Okay. And it like tells this whole story actually, just with like one sound, yeah. which is incredible yeah. so yeah I love like those aspects of it but also I just have a really personal like emotional connection to language mm -hmm. I think because it was an early language for me and I associate it with family and like with home um so like when I hear music in Mandarin especially it sort of hits me in a different way than mm -hmm. um songs in English do yeah yeah I love the tie-in with the emotional chorus I wonder what you were reading when you, you know, into, into middle school, high school, <laughs> you know, um, who, who, what were the works or mm -hmm. who were the writers who really interested you and intrigued you and, and thrilled you? I read a lot of fantasy and sci-fi mm -hmm. as I think a lot of kids do, especially at that age. Um, so I was very influenced, like I wrote fiction actually for a while and it was basically like not great publish fiction, it publish it where i just <laughs> kind of took elements from favorite 
stories and worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I mean, like a lot of um, kids, especially from my generation, um, but yeah, continues to be a popular series, um, although its creator is quite problematic, but okay, what series Potter books. Oh, of course, of course, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah it, loads, but it makes me sad too. Because it is like one of the series that got me really into mm-hmm. reading, mm-hmm. Um, as I think is yeah true for many people. Yep. Um, got me interested in writing too. Um, someone who isn't <laughs> problematic, so I'll also mention her, um, K K A Applegate, um, who yeah. wrote Animorphs. Oh yeah. But that was also and there's so many books in that series. Mm. Um so that was like a big one. I remember watching the TV series as well. Um, which I was like I was so excited that they oh, yeah. adapted it. Um what else? Um Philip Pullman's uh historic mm. materials. Um, which looking back on it, I'm like, this is a pretty like adult yeah, <laughs> material. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, because he's talking about like organized religion and um also like later on like sexuality um so uh yeah but that was also um yeah like middle school well yeah like end of elementary school into middle school and so on um with that series um also really loved um garth nix um the like sabriel series okay um, which i think he's continued kind of recently um i haven't followed it um but yeah so a lot of fantasy um kind of like epic fantasy mm-hmm. and um like young protagonists having to take on these really big roles um and you know save the world basically so, no big deal no big deal yeah, yeah. no big deal <laughs> just you know and also finish school often yeah yeah yeah, yeah. at the same time <laughs> Is there is there any air what's the word armchair psychology to be had there like you know fantasy was this like you know you can you can travel the world through a book or some cliche like that was there like an escapism or was it just like this is some pretty dang good writing um yeah I think it was mostly fun um and I think because reading and writing um yeah it came from a fun place for me that's mm-hmm. still the foundation that I have that I feel really grateful to have um that it wasn't like an an, an annoying school assignment right. that I had to right. fulfill um especially with writing like no one was really telling me to do it Hmm. so it felt like this really free space to explore and play around in yeah no doubt i I wonder you know the name of the podcast is the chills of will podcast the those lines that of which you have many in in your writing you know those lines that that i remember that your readers remember they can they can spit out upon upon request upon demand those you know running through your head those 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 lines those excerpts those passages that really thrill you um, you know, even up to today, I mean, are there, were there any like just life change or maybe too strong of a word, but any that really just changed the trajectory and yeah. you just saw like the potential of, of words. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a long um, list. 
Yeah, no, I mean, there have been a bunch. Um, I'll mention a couple. Um, one of the um, early ones was actually, um, well, I guess it ended up being like a couple books, but it started because I think I watched the movie The Hours. Was it in middle school? <laughs> like Oops. early high school, <laughs> which is like pretty intense for yeah. that age. I mean, also, I watched Angels in America, the like HBO at oh, yeah. in high school. Oh, yeah. Because my uh, high school GSA was like showing it, so like pretty mature mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, watching yeah, Angels in America was also pretty like um, moving and right. life changing too. Um, but uh, yeah, so the hours which led me to reading the book um, by Michael Cunningham. Mm. And I think because the writing was so lyrical and it was clear that, you know, he spent time on his sentences Mm. and the sound of the sentences was just as important as the character development and, you know, where the story developed. So then that led me to reading Virginia Woolf. He's a character in that book and specifically Mrs. Dalloway because that whole, the hours is really modeled after sure. Mrs. Dalloway, okay. right? And structure of, you know, the single day in a woman's life, um, just multiplied by three hmm. um, in the hours. So then I read um, Mrs. Dalloway, I think sophomore year of high school. Um, and I went to a pretty um, amazing public high school in Newton, Newton North. Hmm. And had some really fantastic English teachers who were really encouraging of my reading and my writing. So shout out to Miss Kish. Yes. Um, my sophomore year English teacher was amazing. I have to send her a copy of the new book. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and the lyricism of Wolf's writing, I became really obsessed with. So actually I started writing, I shifted from fantasy kind of fan fiction that I was writing to basically like Mrs. Dalloway fan fiction, (laughs) um, where I employed this really basic level stream of consciousness style. Okay. I just became really into um, that kind of interior voice, that interiority, um, where, you know, you're really inside characters' minds and it's very voice driven Mm -hmm. in that way. Um, And again, like really attentive to how sentences sound. So I think that led me to reading more poetry, Mm. um, like outside of class, because I realized how much I loved um, that kind of uh, lyricism in writing. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a kind of a two part question tied into, you know, am I correct that it is doctor? It is. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Which right? I like never go by, but yeah. But you should. You know, you're a teacher, you're a professor, you're an educator. I wonder how how that informs your writing and and vice versa. And then also just kind of like, you know, in contemporary times, well, obviously contemporary times, like what are you teaching? What's what's really resonating with your students? Mm, yeah, I I love teaching. Um it's um yeah, it's not something I anticipated 
getting into or enjoying so much mm. uh, in part because my parents are teachers and for a while I was like I want to do something totally different <laughs> from my parents <laughs> don't want to be like them but of course I feel like I'm basically becoming my mom in a bunch of ways which is kind same, of terrifying yeah. but that's how it goes <laughs> so um just have to practice a lot of self-awareness um yeah so uh, teaching definitely influences my work. I, I, I mean, you know, teachers say this all the time, but it is so true. Like how much I learn from mm. students, um, and you know, just talking about poems because they'll always have different interpretations. And I also realize, like, yeah, I don't want or need them to have the same interpretation that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's more important that they just. Um, well, one that they enjoy reading poems, like First I want foremost, that to yeah. be a um, fun and rewarding experience and not a chore, you know, I want it to matter to them in their everyday lives. So that's really important to me. Um, and yeah, I'm always like surprised by what they bring to those mm-hmm. discussions so yeah I love teaching a range of work especially in undergrad I just I love teaching very different kinds of books very different kinds of poems so you know something um like super narrative um and I think super accessible although I think a lot of things can be made accessible right um depending on how you talk about it and what tools and resources you give to mm-hmm. students um but yeah someone like so marie howe i love teaching what the living do mm. and just the way like she uses dialogue in those poems i think um has been great for students to learn from um also in the past couple of years i've been teaching um this great chapbook by rick barrett um he's one of my favorite contemporary poets sorry that's spelled like is that is that b-a-r-o-t yes okay um yeah his chapbook um during the pandemic um which actually i think it's out of print but he mm. put the whole thing on instagram so oh, wow. search for it okay so I basically um, pulled it from Instagram <laughs> um, to use um, in teaching and it's 30 poems they're all prose poems and each of them starts with the phrase during the pandemic mm. and it focuses on just like kind of everyday quotidian oh. um, matters um, like there's this great um, bit where the speaker is just like dusting a house plant yeah <laughs> um, thinking about something that he read (laughs) and it's just so it just captures so well the kind of minutia and like slowness Mm -hmm. of being at home all the time and trying to keep yourself busy keep your mind occupied trying not to freak out about what's going on Mm. um but obviously thinking all the time about what's going on the yeah. same time yeah um you know you can't help it so i love um in that chat book the tension right between like trying to be present and mm-hmm. trying to um 
you know, go about your everyday life um, while also processing such a huge, you know, global emergency. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think that that chapbook has been great to teach, oh, cool. um, obviously, because it's super relevant. Yeah. Um, but also, like, it's a really nice way to talk about, like, the prose poem and to mm. talk about um, this kind of, like, almost like a diary of, because mm. it's like 30 entries in a way yeah. as though it's yeah. like over a month of like isolation yeah. quarantine um so it's fun to talk about that um structure for the collection too mm. um so yeah but yeah there have been there have been a bunch of um books that it's just been great to introduce students to very cool Have you ever taught any of your own work? I usually don't just because I feel like I'm not, like I'm biased, obviously. And also, <laughs> um, I don't know if I am like the most insightful person about my own work Okay, because of like some of that lack of distance from mm. it. Yeah, that's um, and also like, I would just feel sad if like students... <laughs> <laughs> like it like I still get sad if they don't like something that I really love Uh to read but I'm less a different level of sadness hurt by it (laughs) yeah Yeah. Yeah. well obviously objectively speaking there's no subjectivity objectively speaking you're an extremely talented poet so they they would love it I wonder then about I mean did you get right into higher ed like did you have you know that classic like life experience or a job where you went, you know, snow crabbing in Alaska or you went, you know, biking across the country. I should have. <laughs> you should you have. You know what? Not I should have. Maybe I'll do that you like know? now. That's what I'm I mean, right? <laughs> um, because I'm not teaching full time. Um <laughs> so maybe now's the time in my 30s because yeah, I just went from school to school mm-hmm. to school. <laughs> and, um <laughs> Yeah, which I really don't recommend. <laughs> you have a very distinct voice in your work. Um, you talked earlier about like, you know, everything is fair game for writing about, right? You write a lot about Buffy. Yes. Buffy the <laughs> Vampire Slayer. What was the what was the sequel or what was the like spinoff of that? Was it Angel? Angel? I was a big yeah. fan. Big fan of both of those mm-hmm. shows, right? Me too. I think it was actually in one of the poems. I don't know if it was an introduction. You write about how there's like a mix of tone. I'm sorry, maybe it's like an interview. A mix of tones and humor yeah. and genres that come from that, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, um, it seems like summer, the poem "Summer" talking about the latest collection was was subtitled after Sarah Gambito, mm-hmm. and items may have shifted. I actually just, I think on on Twitter, I was in conversation with Muriel Luan, mm-hmm. right? She was mentioned by it's, it's all running together. I think uh, Gustavo Barona is a is a mm-hmm. poet from the Midwest, California based originally. And, you know, he he gives so much props to her and, and same to you. Items may have shifted is, you know, kind of a uh, uh, seems an homage to Jennifer yeah. S. Chang, who you referenced earlier, the school yeah. of your book slash it's a letter to Jennifer S. Chang. How do I guess just like the poetry community, the writing community, you know, Justin Chin was mentioned twice as you as you wrote about before yeah. you didn't get to meet him. But how does just like the 
the poetry yeah. community, the literary community? How does that energize you, inspire mm-hmm. you? Yeah, well, I think a lot about um, the poet Mary Rufal is one of my favorites. Also, she t- has talked about, I think, in various places, like in an essay and also in interviews, um, about how like she became a writer um, because she wanted to um, like write to um, mm. the people that she loved reading, whether they were alive or not. Um, you know, through her own poems. And so, yeah, I really do think of poetry as a form of communication in that way, in a really deep form mm. of communication. Um, because, I mean, obviously you're engaging uh, with someone on a personal level, but it is also this creative, artistic um, act and you're responding to mm. their work um responding to how they've you know inspired you um so yeah those uh friendships and conversations have been so important to me yeah. um I used to think oh to be a writer you just have to go off you know be alone in a cabin in the woods surrounded by like just nature and turn off your wi-fi sure um but i thought like oh you need like complete quiet you have to be completely alone and just you know kind of retreat into your own thoughts and imagination um and i mean i think there's something to be said about um, the value of solitude as well. I think, you know, we live in a culture that really undervalues um, solitude. Mm. And yet it's also like such an extremely lonely country. Mm. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think for me, there's, there's a balance um, between, yeah. When do you kind of, retreat to Mm. yourself and um, learn about yourself um, Mm. through that solitude which is really important and then when do you you know learn about yourself and about the world through connecting with people Mm. which is also super important and so especially yeah in this new book I wanted to be really explicit about my gratitude um it comes through friends and also people that I never met but whose work means a lot to me uh, like Banu Kapil as well oh yeah who's you know 12 questions has been such an important presence um in my work um so that sequence uh, a small book of questions is organized around the questions that she uses in her book the vertical interrogation of strangers oh well, I want to I want to shout you out as a great Twitter follow. So if you're listening to this episode, it's you know it's Chen Chen writes obviously writes W R. Uh, you're a great Twitter follow. Recently, you uh, you tweeted, "Nothing consoles me like poetry, and nothing shakes me out of comfort and complacency like poetry." Mm-hmm. Um, I got to think that like that being in that that community is, is something that kind of shakes you out of that complacency as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Yeah, I, (laughs) there's so many, uh, like just being asked a great question um, by a friend, uh, by someone who like 
knows my work mm. uh, well and um, kind of knows my thinking. Um, yeah, that can send me in a whole other direction. Like for instance, since um, we mentioned Muriel, um, I mean, obviously she has um, this wonderful piece in her um, second book um, called uh, This is to Live Several Lives, um, mm. which is like this hybrid essay, poetic essay. Um, and the form of that was really influential for items may have shifted in my book. Mm. Um, but also I had this whole conversation with her back in 2018 when I was um, at this writing residency in Knoxville. And I had a wonderful time there. I had some really fond memories. Um, and one of them is this, um, I think it was Skype at the time. Just so it, funny. Ew. No, just kidding. Just everyone is like, <laughs> Skype really fumbled it. It really did, though. This oh. era of oh. video communication. Um, you know, it's all about Zoom now. Yeah. Um, so I remember, yeah, talking with her and... I read her a poem that I was working on. It was still very much in progress, but she just asked this question because like the poem that I was working on, which is also in this book, um, involves like me thinking about um, having dinner at my parents' place. So the poem, that poem I think is called um, The School of Song Uno in Dinner Time. Mm. Um, And so I read her an early version of that and she had some great suggestions and she also just asked um like what if you um wrote or just thought about um your parents coming to you like what if they had to come over to your place hmm. and kind of like be on your turf and right, right, right. kind of have to act and talk on your terms um so that was like really um vital Hmm. actually that she asked that because it led to this whole other poem I think one of the best poems in the book um I invite my parents to a dinner party um came out of that conversation oh so cool yeah I I would not have written that if not for that question oh man vital is the word for sure very very life lively for sure um the most recent uh collection now pardon me I've got so many dates going through my head when was the publication of your emergency contact September 13th yeah. in the US. And um, the pub date for the UK edition is October 20th, but it is kind of out already, mm-hmm. at least so, from the publisher. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, it's, it's new in the world. You know, it's called Your Emergency Contact Has Experienced an Emergency. You have some great long titles, including that one, you know, <laughs> some of the poems themselves. Um, I'd love to know, and maybe it's hard to even specify because there are so many different poems, but like seeds for the book title. I don't know if those are one and the same. Mm-hmm. Do you mean like what led to the book? Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's probably different than asking like a novelist, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I can say that um, a lot of it, because many of the poems are set um, in West Texas in Lubbock, um, mm-hmm. where I was living for a couple of years. Um, and I was doing my doctoral um, coursework at Texas Tech. So many of the poems came out of that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was actually part of what made it hard to return to and revise after I finished that program. 
because it was quite a difficult place to live um, for many reasons. Um, one of them being how conservative it was. Um, and uh, as you know, a queer Asian American person, <laughs> it's just a lot um, to navigate and kind of deal with, especially because I lived there also through the 2016 election. Um, and so Trump becoming president, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all that happened while I was living in a very conservative city. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just kind of hard knowing that there was like a large population there that mm-hmm. voted for him. Um, and so, yeah, returning to some of these poems, I was like, I just don't want to return to like this place, um, like physical place but also the place that holds in my memory and imagination Mm -hmm. kind of the emotional headspace of it um and so it was after um I graduated um end of 2018 I just let myself write a whole bunch of other things and so then eventually I was able to return to the manuscript in a different way because I had all these other poems and then I could see the Lubbock poems in a different light. Hmm. That makes sense. You, you know, you referenced like Trump. I believe it's the first poem in the collection is the School of Mornings and Letters. It's a little later. There's so many poems. A little later. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's I'm, early on. Yeah. Right, right. And it, you know, it's it's the grackles. I was so interested in the grackles as like yeah. a, as a motif. Um, the grackles memorizing the long blue sky. I don't know if that's the exact line, but, you know, so yeah, poetic, yeah. obviously. Um, the quote sentence on the day after Trump, you know, was endorsed by the KKK. Yeah. The grackles. What are they? Are they raven like birds? What's their kind yeah, of symbolism? Yeah, they're like these black. Um, yeah, they kind of look like ravens. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think around the same size, um, but they have like this distinctive tail shape. They're also just really loud. Mm, <laughs> it's like okay, right. The main right, right. thing that stood out to me. Yeah. Um, and because they're all over campus. So I would walk um, from our apartment at that time to Texas Tech. And um, I knew I was like getting closer to campus because mm-hmm. I heard them. Um, and they would just, uh, as they say in the poem, like congregate above certain buildings. They loved the English building. They loved shitting all over <laughs> the building. Um, so they would constantly be like, cleaning crews uh, <laughs> dealing with all of the the bird shit um so yeah, there was such a presence you just could not yeah um ignore it like visually and yeah sonically um because yeah. they would just kind of like darken the sky a yeah. bit um when there were a lot of them and then they would just have this really loud shriek um so uh, I just felt like, like, of course, they would show up in poems. Yeah, yeah. There are obviously through lines and themes throughout the poem. One poem is called The School of Fury. Yeah. Uh, um, it's about, you know, I say your, whether it's the, whether it's the poet as speaker, you know, you can, <laughs> you know, me. yeah. Okay. Okay. Me. Okay. Plausible <laughs> deniability. Whatever, you know, 
but you know the uh about the dad or your dad picking you up at the wrong house yeah and i I was just so struck by that this these ideas of fury right that he was not in the wrong no but he i assume as you know defensive mm-hmm. you know, maybe being an immigrant maybe language issues he he was yeah. mad at you like come on like mm-hmm. you know right i mean the police were called on yeah him. Mm-hmm. just ideas of fury I, nima avashia wrote this this great book recently you know about growing up as indian american queer mm-hmm. in, in appalachia right and she has a, a line about just like people she knew very well back in those days and now she mm-hmm. just sees them you know they're anti or excuse me trump this and anchor babies that and just hateful mm-hmm. vitriol right yeah she just talks about like the burden the burden always being on her the mm-hmm. burden always being on people like, you know, why not the burden on this right. this old white man who's ranting and raving about all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I was just, I was thinking of like your father and the burden being yeah. on him, just being, you know, being mm-hmm. nervous and being and all that. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder where the, where you would say the fury comes in there. Is that a fury mm-hmm. that you, you wanted to like, you wanted him to like be pissed off and, and yell at the police and, you know, being, say I'm in the right. Like, where did that yeah. fury come in? I think, yeah, the poem ultimately shows, I think, how um, powerless um, we both were in that moment, but kind of turned our anger over that powerlessness on each other. Okay. um, Rather than, yeah, directing it to the police or to the neighbors who call the police on him. um, Because... um, yeah, we we couldn't direct our anger in that way at that moment. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's actually quite a sad ending um, mm. because of that. Um, where, and also like at that age, I think I lacked a certain awareness mm. too about um, you know, race and coming from an immigrant family and how the police saw us continue to see us um as less than um and so I didn't know how to deal with that situation at mm. that time I was just the main emotion I think was this irritation mm-hmm. that like I tried to like have this night with mm-hmm. these friends and I make a point of you know, saying that they're white friends because um, they're kind of outside of the experience that right. my father and I had. Right. Um, and so there's that tension right, between like wanting to belong, wanting to fit in mm. this group of friends. Um, and it's, I think it's also kind of funny in a way that we're watching the West Wing, which is obviously mm. all about, you know, politics. Um, and like it's kind of a progressive show in some ways Mm. Um, like also for its time (laughs) but but that's also kind of removed from like the everyday politics of the situation right of being an immigrant family Um, so yeah I I wanted all that to come in and I think um, yeah, the fury ultimately is is misdirected. Mm. Uh, but there are kind of hints of it earlier in the mm-hmm. poem, kind of from the more adult perspective, like looking back yeah. at that age, right? Like middle school. 
Yeah. I mean, there's some, there's some really interesting lines just on a craft basis, just very poetic, very, you know, beautiful and sad and all the above, like, and we worship immigrant hardship. We worship immigrant hardship instead of building a home more breathable. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Quote through hugging my white friends, see you in class dash, you know, hyphen see you in class because nothing was wrong. You talk about kind of like, okay, fitting in versus yeah, right. like avoiding what the actual yeah emotion was. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, and, and there's another poem called study abroad that starts off with quote, your white classmates treat you like a dictionary with legs. And sometimes you like it. Mm-hmm. Does that really sum up a lot of, a lot of your, yeah. your school, high school these days? Really, yeah. These really tricky mixed emotions, I think of um, feeling appreciated or validated in a certain way but it's also based on like a stereotype or it's based on um like a weird expectation to like be an expert Mm. Uh, when I was like I'm also a student in this study abroad program but I'm treated differently from everyone else because of how I look and you know my family history yeah yeah obviously you know identity is comes through in a lot of the poems um I don't, I, this is, this may not be the whole title, even though the, the title of the poem is quote, after my white friend says cool upon hearing <laughs> me speak Chinese. No, it's not even right. It's on the phone it's with my parents. Title. I take another sit, right? It's, you know, yeah. six, seven lines and I have really small font yeah. here. Um, and that poem is mostly in Mandarin. Yes. Like the huge, like only a few words that are in English mm-hmm. there. Um Yeah. I take it. So the whole, the whole title is after my white friend says cool upon hearing me speak Chinese on the phone with my parents, I take another sip of my strawberry banana smoothie. Those are the best, by the way, and contemplate coolness and Chinese-ness. I wonder if my love of long titles stems from the long titles of classical Chinese poets and is therefore part of an inherently cool Chinese-ness. I have inherited and carry even to the smoothie shop. And then I recall a longish stream of not so cool things my parents have said about white people. Do you have that poem, that title memorized? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, is there a Guinness Book of World Records for the longest title? Like, I don't, I don't know. How to be up there. Um, it is long. And yeah, I really wanted to push it. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, and I think that's something that also, yeah, when I work with students, I tell them, like, yeah, pay attention to your tendencies, you know, pay attention to mm-hmm. what you like doing in language and like really lean into it Mm. um and so you know noticing that like oh i love long titles so let me try to make the longest one right right um and then it was also a way to like play with um the juxtaposition of english and mandarin where Mm. like this really long title in english and then the poem um it's like pretty short as well but then yeah, yeah like in mandarin um and so in a way it's like i wanted to give a reader like a non-mandarin speaker a way in um where at least they could read the title and, mm-hmm. you know still get something from that even even if they don't kind of continue sure. um you know or don't you know read all of the mandarin um but again like the mandarin is like pretty basic level Mm. um it's not like that hard to look up especially if you have um 
like there's an app or there's a website actually where you can basically write out characters um, mm. without knowing the pronunciation and it will find that character for you. So it's a bit of a process if you don't know the language at all. Um, but it's still, it's doable. I've done this exercise, yeah. not with my own, <laughs> but uh-huh. <laughs> um, I've done this in class with undergrads um, with a poem by um, Mary Jean Chan, who's a British Chinese poet oh, okay. um, from her book, Flesh, um, where there are quite a few Mandarin words in this one poem. And yeah, I had them read it, look up the words, piece it together. It didn't take like that long, actually. And I think they're all like surprised that mm. they had that access Right. So again, like something that seems difficult or a challenge initially when you have the tools, right, and Mm -hmm. kind of guided through the process of learning. um, Yeah, just it opens up um, and then you can read other things. I mean, I like how seemingly this it's not even that it's not even a craft thing anymore. It's just like that's the way it is. You know, so many more poets and writers seem to be not doing the translation if they don't want to. Yeah. Right. This is so cool that it seems mm-hmm. becoming more, hopefully more and more, you know, mainstream for those who want to do it. Yeah. But, you know, you have so. so many, so many interesting ways of, of, of your, of using your structure, your craft, the poem, higher education, there, there are spaces and columns, you know, clearly defined mm-hmm. columns. There are italics for the friend's words. Um, You know, some uh, doctor's note and, and some of the others, like, I guess you would classify as prose. Right. Some mm-hmm. will be maybe more the the classical. Right. Yeah. right, right. Talked about items may have shifted. You have a lot of ellipses and almost, right? Almost mm-hmm. looks like dad or almost looks like your uncle. Mm-hmm. Just really playing around with it, but like so many in so many interesting ways. And then, you know, even with the epigraphs, the Marina Tetseva, Testeva? Tetseva. Okay. Is, you know, life has a sack with holes and it's a little bit more deep. And the Justin Chins is, you know, lick my butt, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's just like so many different mm-hmm. things brought in and it just, it just comes together in such a, such a cool collage. So, so I was incorrect. The first poem was called A Favorite Room, mm-hmm. right? And that's about the butterfly skeleton and yeah. aspirations, right? Mm-hmm. What's, what's being aspired to, I guess, in that poem? I think, yeah, wanting to grow in certain ways. And I think I'm kind of poking fun at my own obsessions a bit because hmm. um, I say like oh we could become less predictable gay men <laughs> obsessed with our mothers um <laughs> but of course like that's the obsession so <laughs> like I'm acknowledging it as I'm you know continuing to follow it um yeah. as well um so yeah I think it's like wanting um kind of a new direction mm. uh, in life, but also realizing that, you know, your past follows you around and you have the history that you do. Um, and that can actually be a great thing as well. Mm. Keep exploring. You know, obviously there there's a lot about family dynamics, you know, parent-child relationship, that kind of thing. Um, I guess I guess, you know, some of the writing about like kind of like in-betweens, like, you know, like bisexuality, let's say, as an as an in-between. There's really interesting progression of, like, the mother not asking questions about, about the boyfriend. Yeah. You know, oh, you know, the dog first. And obviously that's that priority list or that 
you know, list of, you know, mm-hmm. who, asking about first, obviously extremely painful. Um, and then I believe it was something about like, you know, about bringing food and just, I guess, ways of, you could look at it as like, doesn't know how to express herself maybe in that way, but these are expressions of love, maybe not verbally, but these are expressions of love. You know, what does he like to eat? And we're getting his t- favorite type mm-hmm. of food. I guess how much of a balance between like hurtful and I want to hear it said. Yeah. You know, I want to hear it said, how is he? Give him a hug, give him a kiss. You know, how are you? Mm-hmm. Versus like, she's doing her best. She's, she's mm-hmm. expressions. These are our tokens of love. I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think in the writing and also in life, I go back and forth on that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like, yeah, I don't have a very settled answer about it. And I think that's a big part of why I write about this subject because I don't have the answers Mm. Um, and I have really conflicting emotions about um, our relationship. Um, Yeah. Where sometimes, you know, just as you put it, um, I feel uh, like I want, yeah, more to be expressed and really verbalized and affirmed Mm um rather than just tolerated um but actually embraced and then there are other times where I see how um you know she does express um care and affection um in her own ways Mm -hmm. right um and that's um I think a common struggle among, you know, children and parents, you know, whether the issue is around sexuality or something else, Mm. uh, where, you know, the ways in which someone loves you may not be the way that you would like them to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And that can be, yeah, that can be really hard. Um, And it's like, oh, to what degree do you try to accept that, you know, these are the ways that they do love you Mm -hmm. um and what ways do you kind of push or try to educate or ask for other ways Mm -hmm. um and and at the same time it sucks to feel like you have to ask or push Mm. for those things that sometimes seem really basic um and yeah to feel like oh wanting more is um it's like somehow you're being ungrateful right mm. you, like what you do receive but mm. if it's not enough it's not enough right um so yeah there there are a lot of very different emotions well i mean i appreciate you i mean it's obviously very personal I appreciate you putting it on the page and and sharing with with me here with us here and then you know you put that you put that alongside like uh, your boyfriend you know saying call your mom like he's the one saying call your mom call your mom yeah. you know there's just something about that like mm-hmm. that selflessness that you know I mean mm-hmm. that's that's love and even even like the the grackles seem to be saying that yeah right <laughs> and well ultimately especially from the grackles like ultimately that's an internal voice sure are you sure are you sure though turning into metaphor well maybe i don't know i don't know what they're saying (laughs) they're loud shrieks so maybe they they are yeah encouraging 
but yeah just and just ideas of uh, uh and, and things that are left unsaid that that to me really that really spoke to me ironically that it spoke to me that they're left unsaid you know things like a small book of questions who was responsible for much from my mother's suffering yeah and one of the lines is i'm afraid of you because of you mm-hmm. but a lot of those were like left unsaid mm-hmm. again that interior that interior voice um doctor's note um and there's there's a quote about about mourning but not lo- something I'm, I'm paraphrasing here mourning him but not loving him through the ice cream ritual oh yeah yeah uh-huh could, could you explain that a little bit this idea of mourning but not loving and who who the him refers to and oh yeah the last part of it mm-hmm. the idea yeah, of the, mourning him but not loving yeah um while sharing a bowl of strawberry ice cream the last thing they remember him loving yeah um yeah, part of what I'm getting at there is like the refusal of the parents to learn about the speaker's life, my life, mm. uh, past a certain point. It's like they want to hold on to the kind of like innocent child version mm-hmm. of me um, instead of like really learning about who I am now. Um and so I think that's a pain that, um, like among queer friends, it's something I've talked to other people about a lot. Mm. Um, it's a common experience, unfortunately. And even like among like parents who are supposed like more progressive in a mm. way, they feel like, or and sometimes express it, um, that they're mourning the loss of the child they thought they had or uh-huh. you know, the future that they had envisioned for their child and so they're mourning that kind of loss um which I can understand to some degree but I think it's really painful for queer children to see their parents doing that (laughs) Mm. because it's this kind of holding on to again a myth like an illusion of the person in front of you instead mm. of actually seeing them for who they are right um so the strawberry ice cream at the end of that poem kind of represents um like this very childlike yeah, yeah. that the parents are clinging to uh-huh. and i think like oh like why can't you still be that kid like our little kid um who just liked strawberry flavored things <laughs> right that was it <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um instead of like growing up and like having other interests and having my own life um mm. and it's like oh we could have a better relationship if like you were just more curious even mm. you know so that goes mm. back to like asking right asking yeah. about the boyfriend asking yeah. about the dog asking about right life yeah more scallion pancakes right Yes, yes. Yes. More I love yous, more scallion pancakes. Yes. There is, you know, mortality, of course, comes into play for sure. I'm beautiful, moving, touching, sad, you know, allusions to the pulse pulse nightclub shooting of yeah. course you know putting yourself in the in the shoes in some ways of of one of the victims right mm-hmm. and asking questions um 
Ruth Ann Johnson, would that be your partner's mother or grandmother? Yes, mother, yeah. And, you know, beautiful. I, I can't imagine the 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 sadness associated with, with her being in the hospital, but, but the question being, is everyone here family? Mm-hmm. I assume, right, that you were, you were in the room. Yeah, yeah, I was there. Right? Yeah. Is everyone here family? And she looked you in the eye and said, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine how, how beautiful and happy. And, yeah, and it was a really powerful moment. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Um, you know, a small book of questions comes up, you know, there's what five parts, six parts to that. Yeah. And, you know, the overriding question really is, you know, how will you, or have you prepared for your death? And I think I saw this uh, posted on, on Twitter. Someone reposted oh, yeah, this, yeah. Uh-huh. right? It's what, I don't know, 30 times. I kiss him. I kiss yeah. him. I kiss him. Yeah. Obviously that sentence by itself is beautiful, but that sentence 30 times yeah. that sentence in response to that question is, is off the Thank charts, you. beautiful, but you know, but, but again, mortality and that, you know, like your, your partner, your boyfriend's, you know, days with his now deceased mother and, uh, and again, of, of course, pulse comes into play. There's also so much beauty, the lunar new year, mm. right? The school yeah. of night and hyphens. There's a, there's an admiration for Jeff's work over the headset. You see him. Right. Through, yeah. Right. You see him through others eyes. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that rings true for so many people, like the person you love and you're like, yeah. Oh, you meet his coworkers, you meet her coworkers. Right. Right. So I, what I'm trying to get at is that we could be speaking for four hours. I want to give you time to sleep, which you said sound like you don't already do anyway, with all the cra- crazy good good work you do. And I, just... I am quite a nocturnal person. Anyway. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this is like actually my brain comes awake at this time. Oh, anyway. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, well, we are, we're getting some great stuff. So that's just I, I can see. You know, but again, the the collection, the latest collection. And I have here, those watching, if you're watching at home, is when I grow up, I want to be a list of further possibilities. Another, it's a winner of the the Poland Junior Poetry Prize and Emergency Contacts, which is out. I mean, there's uh, there's so much. We could be talking for hours. I could teach a college course on one of your books. So thanks for just giving us a, a, mm-hmm. even just a little kernel of a, of a seed of, of what's going on in your prodigious brain and with all the creativity. If you're up to it, totally up to you. If you wanted to... to lead us out by reading a poem but i know it's late yeah sure um yeah i'll read um the school of fury since we talked about it the school of fury as robert frost said the best way out is always through or as alanis morissette said the only way out is through or as i said eighth grade was all robert frost and alanis morissette because I had to learn who the important white people were. And we worship immigrant hardship instead of building a house more breathable to read and remember and know and say so without the echo of an accent. When the white kids knew nothing about Marilyn Chin and the white adults knew nothing about Lost in Pusawi Nada, when the 30 something white guy in poetry class says a poem is this based on what a 70 something white guy once said, and everyone just nods, and they want to say no, and scream, and would Frost have called me a chink, and take everyone through the wound of it, through the cat with a hummingbird in its mouth, through my much-desired, never-fulfilled Halloween costume, which was the wheel from Wheel of Fortune, through the night my father came to pick me up from a friend's house, through the early fall sidewalk, through Newton, Massachusetts, outside Boston, 
inside whiteness through my enjoyment of the West Wing with white friends, through my father knocking on the wrong door, the neighbor's door, through the neighbor's door where you can hear them whispering, deciding to call the police because who is the man at the door calling in a strange voice? Through my father almost getting arrested for trying to retrieve his son. Through later in the car, my father insisting, you gave me the wrong address. Through don't ever give me the wrong address again. Through my imitations of Frost in eighth grade, which my teacher called impeccable. Throughout the town on every doorstep except ours, a little family of carved pumpkins. Through the happy, happy wounds of their faces. Through why don't you try not going to the wrong house next time. Through hugging my white friends goodbye, yeah, see you in class, because nothing was wrong. Thank you so much. That that last line, because nothing was wrong, right? Such understatement, such. <clears throat> uh, the uh, Robert Frost was a Massachusetts poet. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. And you know, of course, that I mean that line right there. I mean, you talk about the the quote unquote canon. There's something about the 30 year old white man talking <laughs> about 70 year. I mean, that's kind yeah, of sums, yeah. sums everything else up, right? Because he said it was poetry is poetry. Yeah. This is what poetry is. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like, yeah, who gets to be an authority on poetry, right? Like, Someone's who gets there. to define it? Right. Someone's um, there about the inside and the outside, huh? Yeah. But that's like um, another exercise I love doing with students is just asking everyone to try to write like a two sentence definition of poetry. Hmm. And it's really fun because there's <laughs> such different answers. I bet. Um, you know, and based on like reading experience, writing experience, like exposure to poetry in their lives, um, you know, how they come to it. Uh, and then ultimately becomes like a shared document of mm-hmm. all of these definitions, right? Um, and so it's like no one person, you know, has like there's no monopoly right. on what right. what poetry is. Yeah. I, I know you're talking metaphorically about a you know shared document or maybe but you know shout out to Google Docs if, you know if you want to if you want to no advertise. it is actually <laughs> a literal I love Google Docs so Google much Doc. <laughs> I love Google Docs so much <laughs> put together like, uh, yeah right yeah well obviously you know based on what I read about you know what you have coming out in the next year or two you know the things you see online you're obviously you know you continue to to create and uh, I look forward to maybe talking to you in two years, four years when you're oh, yeah. you know, on, on collection yeah, number eight or 10. Yeah. And it's been, been such a pleasure. We said, you know, Twitter's at Chen Chen Writes. Do you want to shout out any other, you know, maybe bookstores to buy your work? Anything else on social media? Contact info? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely you can get my book from my publisher, Bo Editions. That's a great way to support um, a independent mostly poetry although they also publish fiction okay. uh press um you can get it from uh, writers and books in mm. rochester if you're here i think you can also order online they have a wonderful bookstore called ampersand which of course i appreciate the name of because <laughs> <laughs> i use it all the time yeah. all right thank you so much like i said it was just a pleasure to talk to you and um you know, to get so much incredible insight. I'm sure that your students are, are very lucky. Oh, I hope they feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> and, 
and continue great luck with your work. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for the great questions and great conversation. What a pleasure it has been to speak with Chen Chen. Continue good luck with his writing, and I'm so looking forward to continuing to follow his career and his profound work. Thank you for listening to this episode, episode 148 with Chen Chen. You can now subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. You can also ask for it by name using Alexa and find it on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills at Will Podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills at Will P01. You can watch this and other episodes on YouTube. Watch and subscribe to the Chills of Will podcast channel. Please subscribe to both my YouTube channel and my podcast while you're checking out this episode. This is a passion project of mine, a DIY operation, and I'd love for your help in promoting what I'm convinced is a unique and spirited look at an often ignored art form. The intro song for the Chills of Will podcast is Wind Down Instrumental Version, and the other song played on this episode was Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour, and both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please check out my Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash Chills at Will podcast Peter Real. Peter Real, my last name is spelled R-I-E-H-L. www.patreon.com backslash Chills at Will podcast Peter Real. To check out this, you can read about benefits offered to members and you can sign up to help me continue to produce high quality content and a lot of it. The coming months are bringing standout writers like Justin Tinsley, Jose Antonio Vargas, Robert Jones Jr., Allegra Hyde, Laura Worrell, and Elizabeth Williamson. Thank you so much for your support. Please tune in for episode 149 with Erica T. Worth. Erica's highly weighted literary horror novel, White Horse, is forthcoming on November 1st. She is a Kenyan and Sewanee fellow and an urban native of Apache, Chickasaw, and Cherokee descent. The episode will air on November 1st, which again is the publication date for White Horse. For now, thanks again for listening. I hope that these quarantine days bring you texts by writers with mad skills like Chen Chen, whose work, like your emergency contact has experienced an emergency, gives you chills at will. Mm -hmm.